One of my saddest childhood memories is moving from North Oklahoma City to South Oklahoma City before the start of my seventh grade year. From kindergarten through sixth grade, I had only called one place home. So for seven years, I made friends in my neighborhood, I went to school with most of those same friends, and I played sports with the same group of friends. From the time the bell rang for class until my mom told me to come inside for dinner in the evening, I spent a lot of time with the same group of friends. Leaving them wasn't easy, but when you're 12 or 13 years old and your parents decide to move, you have no choice but to move. So that's one of my saddest childhood memories. But one of my happiest childhood memories happened in the same year. Leading up to the first day of seventh grade, I hadn't made any new friends. We just moved into a new house, and I hadn't made much of an effort to get to know any of the kids in my new neighborhood. But as I walked to the bus stop for the first time, one of the neighborhood kids noticed that I was standing by myself, and he invited me to sit with him on the bus and then to sit with him at lunch. At that time, I had no idea that Jason, which is what his name was, was one of the popular kids. To me, he was just another kid who happened to make my day by reaching out when I was lonely. That simple invitation turned into a true friendship, a friendship that lasted many years until Jason passed away in 2010. That simple invitation is still one of my happiest childhood memories. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, So a friend sharpens a friend. Today, we're beginning a new message series called Iron Sharpens Iron. Over the next three weeks, we're going to talk about God's design for true friendship. This series will be one of four throughout 2022 that fits within our preaching theme for this year. If you missed our annual meeting a couple weeks ago, I was able to share about how this year's preaching theme is persevering in relationship. Friends, there are certain things that are worth fighting for in this life, and relationship is one of them. At various times throughout the year, we're going to talk about things like persevering in friendship. That's what this series is all about. We're going to talk about persevering when there's conflict. We're going to talk about persevering in forgiveness and how as people of God, we're called to be marked by forgiveness because we've been forgiven first in Christ. We're also going to talk about persevering in our marriages. For this first series, our focus will be on God's design for friendship. Now, while you likely agree that friendship is a good thing, you may be wondering, why do we need to talk about friendship for three weeks? And why does this year's preaching theme have to be about relationship? I mean, surely there are more important things to talk about. It's true that friendship isn't something that's often talked about in the church. We talk a lot about serving together. We talk about marriage and parenting. We talk about community. And we talk about how to make more and better disciples. And you could argue that all of those things fit under that umbrella. But we rarely talk about the importance of true friendship. I think it's possible that we don't often talk about friendship because we don't think that we need to. And as a result, friendship has become one of the most familiar yet forgotten relationships in our day. Most of us listening to the podcast today have people in our lives we consider friends. But I would venture to say that very few of us know true friendship, at least in the way the Bible talks about friendship. I know that's a bold statement to make, but if you hang in there with me, I think you'll see what I'm talking about. Over the next three weeks, I'd like to give our church family a biblical framework for true friendship. We're going to talk about what true friendship really is, why we need it, and how we can grow in true friendship with God and with others. 
I'm going to challenge us to fight for friendship. And I'm going to share scriptural truths about how you can become the friend that God wants you to be to others. In his book, Made for Friendship, pastor and author Drew Hunter makes several bold statements about friendship. And one of those statements is this, that you and I were made for friendship. That that's one of the reasons God created us. God has created us with a need for friendship. And friendship is a gift that he's given us. But sadly, it's a gift that many in our day have neglected or forgotten altogether. What is true friendship? I don't think you can define true friendship in one sentence. It's not like defining humility, faith, or compassion. But from what we read about in God's word, true friendship is marked by certain characteristics. Characteristics like loyalty. So remaining loyal in the good times and in the bad. It's marked by speaking the truth in love. So you speak the truth in love, even when the truth is hard to hear or when it hurts. It's demonstrating the kind of love that we read about in 1 Corinthians 13. It's being willing to lay down your life should the need arise. And it's confiding in another person. It's being willing to share the deepest parts of your life, your sin and your struggles. Having a biblical framework for what true friendship is will become a lot clearer as we work through this series. Now, if you have access to one of our bulletins, you'll notice on the back that we've listed three questions. The first question that I want to address today is this. What do studies teach us about friendship? Well, the stats aren't good. One study that was published on June 22nd, 2006 in USA Today showed that in 1985, the average American had about three true friends. So that's good. But by 2004, just 19 years later, the average American only had two true friends and one in four had no one they considered a true friend. Another study that was published in 2010 on the AARP website showed that one third of adults over the age of 45 reported chronic loneliness. Now, if these studies are accurate, then at least 30 people in our church family have no true friends and about 40 to 50 people are lonely most of the time. In places like the UK, government leaders have actually appointed a minister for loneliness. And they did this to address the growing problem of social isolation. In Japan, rent-a-friend companies are a real thing. People actually spend their hard-earned money to pay for companionship. And that's because whole societies have failed to prioritize deep and meaningful relationships. Here in the United States, many adults spend eight or more hours at work each day, then they come home where they close the garage door behind them and they watch TV until they fall asleep. Most of us know what it's like to sit on the couch several hours each week, scrolling through endless social media posts. We're connected with a lot of people online, yet we're connecting with no one. It's safe to say that true friendship has taken a back seat on the list of what's most important in life. Over time, we've become more and more disconnected. So the stats aren't good. The second question on the back of your bulletin is this. What does church history teach us about friendship? I was shocked to learn how important friendship was in the church not even 100 to 200 years ago. Augustine, for example, the great theologian and early church father, once said this in a sermon. Two things are essential in this world, life and friendship. Both must be prized highly and not undervalued. That's a pretty bold statement. 
Jonathan Edwards, the 18th century American pastor, once said that friendship is the highest happiness of all moral agents. Esther Edwards Burr, Jonathan Edwards' daughter and the mother of our third U.S. vice president, once wrote a letter to a friend that said, Nothing is more refreshing to the soul except communication with God himself than the company and society of a friend. It's a great mercy that we have any friends. What would this world be like without them? Friendship is the life of life. John Newton the slave trader turned pastor and the author of the hymn, Amazing Grace, he once wrote, I think to a feeling mind, there's no temporal pleasure equal to the pleasure of friendship. And then Charles Spurgeon, the 19th century English pastor who's commonly referred to as the Prince of Preachers, he once said this in a sermon, he who would be happy here must have friends and he who would be happy hereafter must above all things Find a friend in the world to come, in the person of God. Before starting a study on friendship, I don't think I would have ever said anything like this about friendship. Like many in the church today, I've overlooked God's design for true friendship. We don't value friendship like those who came before us. To say things like, friendship is essential, that it's the life of life, that there's no pleasure equal to the pleasure of friendship, and that happiness is a byproduct of having true friends. This is to have an extremely high view of friendship. And as we'll discover, having this kind of view is to have a biblical view. While this is just a small sampling of quotes, I think it's easy to see. There's a lot that we can learn from church history, especially when it comes to the topic of friendship. Well, the third question on the back of your bulletin is this. What does God's word teach us about friendship? That's the most important question. While God's word is full of amazing truths about friendship, you could argue the Bible is a book about friendship. This is most evident in the Old Testament book of Proverbs. So as a book of wisdom, Proverbs shows us how to find the right kind of friends. We see this in Proverbs 13, verse 20. It says, walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. Yeah, I've heard it said, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. The people you're hanging out with today are shaping the person you'll become tomorrow. I think there's a lot of truth to that. We see that in this verse. Who you spend your time with matters. Proverbs chapter 22, verses 24 through 25 says, Don't befriend angry people or associate with hot-tempered people, or you will learn to be like them and endanger your soul. You know, for better or worse, iron sharpens iron. We all take on some of the qualities and the characteristics of the people we spend our time with. Well, as a book of wisdom, Proverbs also teaches us how to treasure faithful friends. Proverbs 19 verse 6 says, Many seek favors from a ruler. Everyone is the friend of a person who gives gifts. So most of the Proverbs were written by Solomon. As a powerful and wealthy king, he experienced the constant harassment of people asking him to intervene on their behalf. So in order to teach his own son an important lesson, he warned that a prince would also have followers just like this. People who would only show interest in you because of what you had. People who lacked character and loyalty. Someone growing in godly wisdom would need to learn how to not trust people like this, but instead treasure the faithfulness of true friends. Proverbs 27 verses 9 and 10 says, The heartfelt counsel of a friend is as sweet as perfume and incense. Never abandon a friend. 
So true friendship is priceless. It's not something that comes easy and it should never be abandoned. Again, we're to treasure the true friendships that God brings into our lives. True friendship is worth more than all the material wealth that a person could obtain. As a book of wisdom, Proverbs also teaches us how to avoid losing our true friends. This is really important. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 28 says, A troublemaker plants seeds of strife. Gossip separates the best of friends. And then Proverbs chapter 17, verse 9 says, Love prospers when a fault is forgiven, but dwelling on it separates close friends. Over and over again, we're clearly called to fight for friendship. As we'll see next week, how we choose to nurture and care for our friendships will determine the kind of results that we see. If you're planting seeds of strife, which could be seeds of anger, bitterness, disagreement even, and if you're trying to build a friendship that also includes gossip, it's not going to survive. But if forgiveness is a benchmark of your friendships, then they'll thrive. This is a very small sampling of what the book of Proverbs has to say about friendship. If you were to sit down and read through the entire book or study it with a group of people, you'd walk away with a lifetime of wisdom about friendship. It's also important for us to read what Jesus said to his disciples about friendship. And one key passage is found in the New Testament book of John, chapter 15, verses 12 through 17. Jesus said these words, This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I've loved you. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you're my friends. Since I've told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command, love each other. Jesus taught that friendship is the greatest expression of love. In his book, Made for Friendship, Drew Hunter wrote that friendship is the meaning of the cross. So according to Jesus, the topic of friendship should ultimately take us to the heart of the meaning of the cross. Jesus said there's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And that's exactly what he did. The cross was history's most heroic act of true friendship. As we continue to learn more about God's design for friendship, we're going to see how the story of Scripture is nothing less than the story of how God welcomes us into eternal friendship with himself. In fact, to be a Christian is to know Jesus and to be known by Jesus as a dear friend. To be a Christian also means that we know true friendship in others. Friendship with God and with others is essential if we're going to experience the abundant life, the full life, that God wants us to live. So what's happened to friendship? If friendship is so essential, then why are true friends so uncommon today? While it's not easy to explain, sin is the root cause. Our sin affects everything, including our friendships. Sin is what drives us to isolation. It's what causes us to forget the things that truly matter, like friendship. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 12 says, A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. So that's a picture of isolation. It goes on to say, But two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. 
A triple braided cord is a powerful image for the value of friendships. But what if we looked at this metaphor in a different way? What if the triple braided cord represented our sin and some of the modern barriers that tend to weave themselves together, isolating us from others? As I wrap up today's message, I want to share three barriers or strands that keep us from developing true friendships. The first barrier is this, busyness. Busyness. You know, our own busyness will keep us from developing friendships. Now, I understand that busyness is not always a bad thing. For example, it's good for students to fill their time with school and with extracurricular activities. It's good for adults to work hard so that we can provide for our families. But what about all of the things that creep into our schedules that don't really produce anything of value? Like watching too much evening news, spending hours on social media, forgetting to plan ahead, saying yes to too many things, and not having an established routine for your family. So filling our schedules with things that simply don't matter, that's a great way to not build friendships. It's possible that your routine gives other people the impression that you don't have time for them. Every time you tell another person that life is just too busy, what you're really saying is that you're too busy for friendship. Nothing says there's no chance we'll be friends like, let's get together. How does next month sound? (laughs) I want to encourage you to take a look at your schedule. How are you spending your time? You know, what are some of the things that tend to creep into your day that really don't belong? That busyness can crowd out friendships. The second barrier is technology. Technology. You know, technology is not inherently bad or good. I use technology every day. In fact, I love using technology. But how we've chosen to use it as a whole suggests that most people use it in ways that actually harm relationships. The average person has 338 friends on Facebook, yet the average person has very few true friends, one in four having no true friends. Our use of technology, specifically social media, can hinder our friendships in a number of ways. First, it depersonalizes communication. You know, we use it to connect. We think we're really connecting, but over time we feel less and less connected. We use it to move closer, but we end up farther away. We trade conversations and experiences for details and updates. Second, technology disengages us from real communion. Sometimes when we're trying to connect with people through social media, we end up neglecting the very people who are sitting right next to us in the same room. How many times have you scrolled through Facebook or Instagram, all while ignoring the person who's sitting two feet away from you? I know I've been there. You know, sometimes my wife and I can be sitting two feet apart, yet it feels like we're a world apart. Well, third, technology creates dependence on less personal ways of addressing personal issues. Have you noticed that people tend to talk about personal issues differently over the internet? Instead of being quick to listen and slow to speak, most people are quick to speak and slow to listen. Everyone wants to get their opinion out there as fast as possible with no concern about how their words affect other people. But when you talk face to face, you're typically kinder and more willing to listen to different points of views. So again, technology isn't bad or good, but far too often it's not used in a way that fosters biblical friendship. Well, barrier number three, fear and anxiety, fear and anxiety. The apostle Paul wrote these words to a young pastor by the name of Timothy in first Timothy chapter two, verse seven, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. 
while the pandemic has led to new methods of connecting with others and new methods for the church to reach people with the gospel, one negative thing that I've seen over the past few years is this. Isolation breeds greater fear and anxiety. The Bible has so much to say about fear and anxiety, truths that are better left for another day. But it's important to be reminded that as Christians, God doesn't give us a spirit of fear and timidity or anxiety. Where power, love, and self-discipline make reaching out to others a lot easier, fear and anxiety makes reaching out a struggle. Where power, love, and self-discipline lead to consistency in our relationships, fear and anxiety lead to isolation and canceled plans. Where power, love, and self-discipline act as a reminder of your worth to God, fear and anxiety will lead you to believe the lie that God and others don't love you. So fear and anxiety can keep you from developing true friendships. If this is something that you struggle with, I want to encourage you to get your hands on all the scripture you can find that deals with fear and anxiety. Read what God's word has to say about these things. Pray about the struggles that you're facing and then trust that God can bring healing in this area. Not only is your physical body custom made by God, but so is your emotional makeup. And that means that every mental or emotional struggle you experience can be an opportunity for God to develop your faith. Or in the case of this series, your friendships as well. So I want to encourage you to think and pray about these barriers. And what kind of barriers have you intentionally or unintentionally put in place that keep you from building true friendships? Pray that God would help you recognize these things so that you can build the kind of friendships that glorify him and are for your good. Next week, we're going to spend some time talking about how we can grow in our friendships, how we can nurture our friendships. We're going to talk about how we can be proactive at being the true friend that God wants us to be.